over my blue suede shoes Well, you can knock me down, step in my face Slamming my name all over the place Well, do anything that you want to do But not, uh, honey, lay off them shoes and don't you Well, hello again and welcome to Dunn's Deal And this is the place where I do the dealing And it's a fair deal And, uh just to keep it in in light of graduation, I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, Fall River. Both my parents came out of the Fall River schools, and um, they had a story. It was a family story, but uh, very possibly true, about the Irish um, before they were allowed into the um, uh, Fall River schools there. The uh, Brahmins, the... Um, the Protestants didn't want the Irish Catholics into the schools there. They said mm, they can't handle the course load. They're not smart enough. You know, they were just dumb mix. And um, you know, they were saying, "No, uh, we're not going to allow you to go into our schools." And they really, really thought that the Irish were just too stupid to be able to handle the course load. And so they threw out a challenge, figuring that they'll never meet it. They, they said, okay, we'll be fair to you. All your students have to do is meet uh, our ac- academic standards, and we'll allow you to come into uh, our schools. Now, of course, the Catholics had the Catholic Church, and they had church schools, but you know, some of them wanted to be in the public school. So what the... Um, Irish families did, and what the the church did, and what the uh, the nuns and the priests in the schools did, and if if you remember the old stories about um, uh, you know, how how mean the nuns could be, actually, we, I had a couple of mean nuns. Sister Jacqueline, we used to call her Sister Jacqueline. And, uh, you know, she'd pull on the girls' pigtails and uh, pull the guys' hair because, you know, we had short hair back in those days. So you pull on the guys' ears or you wrap them across the, the, uh, the knuckles with the ruler and uh, that sort of stuff. And I would imagine uh, this must have been in the 1800s, so it was probably a little stricter than that. You know, they could do corporal punishment, which is just a fancy word for spanking with a paddle. Um, so anyhow, I've, I don't know how long a period of time they had, but the priests and the nuns and the parents made sure that those kids studied their butts off. They crammed and they learned and they learned and they crammed and come test day, they blew the the scores away. They astounded the uh, Protestant uh, people and kids and stuff. They literally thought that the Irish were too stupid to learn. And because the Protestants had put the challenge out, they had to open up the schools to the Irish kids. So that's... Uh, my story on on schools and stuff like that. So, but uh, anyhow, there was something else I wanted here to get in to the spirit of schools and stuff. If I can just find it, it would just be so good. Let's see. Oh, it's, it's not in alphabetical order. If it was, it would be much simpler to find. And, oh darn, I'm going to be so disappointed. Just a nice little ballad, you know, by, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that used to do, have all the snakes. Uh, maybe it's not here today. Oh, well, next time. I have to save it. It's uploading. It's uploading? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have it in a few minutes. I should have stretched that story out a little more. But... I should give my intro to the uh, show. Joe Biden is a fake president. He is the thief-in-chief. And he is the pretender to the throne. And I've got something else about him, but that's probably going to have to wait until later. But um, 
Yeah, Donald J. Trump is still the president. And he won the he won the election, but it got stolen from him. And I've got some stuff here about that. Great article out of Zero Hedge. Let's see, uh, there's no name to it, just Zero Hedge. And it says, Touch the ballots, go to jail. Arizona lawmaker warns Biden attorney general as audit showdown brews. Yeah. Attorney General Merrick Garland, he's not real happy with Arizona trying to do an audit on the the election. You know, it's really going to be embarrassing if it turns out that Arizona, maybe Georgia, maybe Michigan, and about four or five or six or seven, or maybe eight other states have to audit and find out that Joe Biden wasn't the winner. Hmm, that would be embarrassing. Oh, what do we do then? My, oh, my. So, the attorney general for the country, Merrick Garland, said the the Department of Justice would publish guidance explaining the civil and criminal statutes that apply to post-election audits. Now, um, the elections, you have 50 separate uh, elections in each of the states, and I guess in the territories as well. So it's up to the states to do the auditing. It's not up to the Attorney General of the United States. But anyhow, an Arizona state senator has warned U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland that he'll spend time in prison if he interferes with the 2020 post-election audit after Garland announced on Friday that the Justice Department will look into whether any federal laws were broken and claim that the state was employing abnormal methods. Uh, hey, what's uh, is there anything abnormal about stopping the vote at uh, like 11 o'clock at night and then restarting it a couple hours later and shazam! Trump went from leading to losing. All of a sudden, what, the, the graph went straight up for all of Joe Biden's uh, votes and they just came in perfectly for Joe Biden, and and he won somehow, some way, some shape and form. So, could that be abnormal? Could the uh, voting machines that, uh, that were run by Dominion Service, could be that be abnormal? Because, I don't know, some were saying that Joe Biden's votes were counted at like one and a quarter instead of one to one for every vote uh, for Mr. Trump. And, of course, a couple of states had overcounts, you know, like 200,000 extra voters. I mean, 200,000 extra votes than there were registered voters. So I don't know if that would be considered abnormal methods. Excuse me while I take some water. If I was a ventriloquist, I would have been been singing right then. But you don't want to hear me sing. And I don't want to insult you. So, go, so going on with this story, some jurisdictions based on disinformation, okay, this has got to be Garland talking, have utilized abnormal post-election audit methodologies that may put the integrity of the voting process at risk and undermine public confidence in our democracy, said Garland. Yeah, think? I can tell you right now, there's 70 million Americans that don't trust the, uh, the voting process because they saw how it was stolen with all the, the uh, mail-in ballots, cheat-by-mail and all that sort of stuff. Anyhow, State Representative Wendy Rogers pushed back on Garland, tweeting, You will not touch Arizona ballots or machines unless you want to spend time in an Arizona prison, adding, Maybe you should focus on stopping terrorism. Well, he is doing his best to stop terrorism. He's stopping those domestic terrorists who say things like, The election was stolen. 
and who dared to go to Washington, D.C. on uh, January 6th and, and protest the, um, uh, the election there and ask that the vice president uh, annul the votes that were coming in. But he didn't. He just uh, went ahead and certified everything. So we have the thief-in-chief at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I heard a funny line today about how 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has now become the most expensive nursing home in the world to uh, just one person, too. <laughs> you like that one, huh, JR? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not like he's got dementia or Alzheimer's or anything. But, um, yeah, he's, he's there because, I don't know, there were, how does that term go, abnormal methods to the uh, voting process this time around. <sighs> but, as, uh, what's his face, Mel Brooks said in, in um, History of the World Part 2, there was never a Part 1, but in Part 2 he says, It's good to be king. <laughs> And uh, we will we'll be talking about uh, Biden's little trip out there to um, to Geneva, where he was just yucking it up with all of his European buddies. Did anyone, by any chance, see the bozo shoes that he had on? Uh, was early in his um, in his trip over there? And I'll tell you, they've. You know, the latter part of the trip, they had him on some some good drugs, some good Adderall or something. Because the first couple of days, he just looked lost. You know, he had the the brown and white uh, bozo shoes on. They kind of looked like like puffy sneakers. And he was just wandering around. And it looked like in some, you know, garden terrace or something. And... um, you know, Jill's calling him over, and he doesn't quite hear, and then she has to grab him gently by the hands and lead him. You know, but he he did look quite a bit different a uh, couple days later when he he was uh, doing that sit-down with um, Vladimir Putin, and they uh, had their dueling press conferences afterwards. So are you calling him a pretender? Yes, and I got this. Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. Okay, yes, the great pretender, Joe Biden. But um, he, he did a, a pretty good job there when he was uh, talking after the, the press conference. And, uh, you know, he was holding his own. He didn't stumble much, I mean, verbally. Oh, and he had, he had those shades on. He had the uh, Tom Cruise, you know, uh, aviator sunglasses. Oh, he looks so cool and... When he says that, and um, I was reading some stuff on it, and lo and behold, I've got this opinion piece from CNN, and it says that the confrab there between uh, Biden and Putin was a big loss for Putin. This is by Frida Gittis, and she works with CNN. The visuals, the body language, and the setting all converged to help President Joe Biden achieve what he wanted, not only from his much-hyped summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin, but from a week of pivotal meetings with U.S. allies. Vladimir Putin, in a suit standing in front of a sign, Russian President Vladimir Putin faces questions from reporters after his meeting with Joe Biden. We'll get to that in a little bit, but the the beginning of this, that 
Biden achieved what he wanted. Yeah, he just wanted to be loved by Europe, you know? So we now are gonna be paying most of the bill on NATO, where President Trump got uh, got Europe and NATO mad at them, at, at him, because he dared to insist that they pay their dues. Yeah, and the dues is just two percent of their gross domestic product, you know, uh, into the um, the coffers of NATO, because NATO is there to protect Europe. You know, so maybe the Europeans might have an interest in, you know, forking over some money to protect their uh, countries. But no, no. Well, they do a little bit. But they're more than happy to let Uncle Sap pay the majority of the bill. And Trump, you know, four years ago as a businessman went in there and said, Hey, you guys... You're only paying half of what you're supposed to pay. Ante up, ante up. You know, if you want to play in this poker game, you've got to put in your ante. You know, so all of Europe just got PO'd at, at Trump. How dare he? That stupid American. That 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 businessman. That, that idiot. That buffoon. How dare he say we've got to pay our way? But no, no, that's that's gone now. Europe can take advantage of us and just uh, let us pay the bill. And that's why everyone there, they were so amiable. Oh, they were doing the, not the fist bumps, they were doing the elbow bumps, you know. And it was just so good. And so that was one of the things that Joe Biden got. He got Europe to like us again. And um, pretty much that's all that, that we got out of it. Oh, and there's one thing about these big summits, especially when it's one-on-one, -on -one, but of course this is the G7 plus one. You know, Russia was kicked out of the G8, and now this was just like the G7 plus one. Uh, and it's a thing that when you do these summits, this is what I've heard, is you have, like, the Undersecretary of State and the Undersecretary of Defense and all, all the second-level bigwigs go and they meet and they hash everything out beforehand so that when the big guy gets there, and, <laughs> yeah, the big guy this time is Joe Biden, but let's not talk about Hunter right now. So when... When the boss gets there, when the president, when the premier, when, you know, gets there, they do everything for for the, the photograph. You know, they're doing everything so the world can see. They've already made up their mind. We'll go this far on this issue, but we won't even touch this one. This one, not even going there. You know, we'll talk about that more later. But, uh, you know, so they'll sign everything. It's like when uh, Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev met in Reykjavik. Well, the people beforehand, the setup crew, had, you know, had drawn up all this stuff. And then the Russians changed it on us at the last minute. So Reagan walked out because they had changed the plans. Well, that it just wasn't done. That was just uh, how disrespectful, how undiplomatic of Ronald Reagan. Well, <laughs> you know, you didn't have the fork in the right place. You know, there was supposed to be a salad fork next to the to the dinner fork. You know, or you know, the treaty wasn't written the way that Reagan had had planned it out. So he didn't sign. He walked out. John Kerry, on the other hand, when he was doing deals with Iran, Iran is good at this, too. They agree. Oh, yes, yes, we'll agree to this. We'll agree to that. And then when you come for the signing ceremony, which is pretty much all these summit things are, because everything was, was hammered out beforehand. So when you come to the signing ceremony, John Kerry would see that something had been changed by the Iranians. 
and he just agrees to go ahead and sign it anyhow because John Kerry, who was working for Obama at the time, would would never walk out on somebody, would never be so undiplomatic. Well, you know, sometimes you have to be able to walk away. In fact, I think Trump said something about that in The Art of the... What was that? Deal. The Art of the Deal. Thank you, JR. I needed that. And you've got to be able to walk away from a deal if it's not good for you. And, uh, I don't know, John Kerry didn't do that. Ronald Reagan could. Donald Trump certainly would. And the people in Europe knew it, and they didn't like him for that. And guess what? The United States is better off with the Trump doing deals than with a Biden or a John Kerry. Because he'd put America first. But there's more of this coming. Let's take a little break right now. Oh, I'm up at the top, huh? So just... No, no, we'll go to the commercial. Oh, The United States of Empire by James Dunn shows how the U.S. became a worldwide empire. It looks at the entry of the U.S. into both world wars. George Washington had warned us about entangling ourselves in European wars. Before World War I, the United States was not concerned with foreign conflicts. In World War I, we changed the balance of power in Europe. We went in to save the world for democracy. We expelled the German Kaiser and imposed our own idea of what Germany should look like. Propaganda painted the Kaiser as the evil Hun that was destroying civilization. So when the true barbarian rose to power, Hitler, how could we avoid being drawn in again? We saved Great Britain. Britain needed us again in World War II to save their bacon. We bought the hog. Now we are the empire. The book, The United States of Empire, in paperback, is available at Amazon.com. Here's author James Dunn to talk about his soon-to-be-printed next book. The King Philip's War in New England in 1675 defined the relations, for good or bad, between English settlers and Native Americans for centuries to come. Many of the battles are local to the Blackstone Providence area with long-forgotten memorials and grave sites. Smithfield was the Battle of Nipsichuk. The Battle of Sudbury in Sudbury, Mass. was a turning point. Mount Hope in Bristol, Rhode Island was the home of King Philip and the Wampanoag tribe. The Connecticut River Valley was a scene of many bloody encounters between the English and the Nipmuc tribe. South Kingston, Rhode Island saw the Great Swamp Battle slash Massacre. One Englishman stands out in this brutal conflict. He dared to learn to fight like the Indians did and won the war for the English. He was Captain Benjamin Church in the book, Captain Benjamin Church and the King Philip's War. James Dunn of Dunn's Deal is producing his first video documentary. Here he is to tell you about the documentary that he has written. The Battle of Jutland is a sea battle in World War I that has long been forgotten, but it was instrumental in the start of that conflict. Most historians are familiar with the killing of Archduke Ferdinand in Serbia, claiming that that was the reason for the war. That was only a flashpoint. The naval buildup by Germany at the turn of the 20th century was the real reason for it. Germany dared to challenge Britain on the high seas. There was only one major naval battle in the war, the Battle of Jutland. Germany bested Britain, but still lost. Then they decided to re-engage in submarine warfare, something that was sure to bring the United States into the war. Watch for the documentary of a shrouded piece of history that shaped the 20th century. Welcome back to Dunn's Deal. We're going to take a little trip across the pond, and uh, this will be about three minutes of Biden and Putin, so uh, be ready. Go ahead, JR. Oh, Putin first? Yeah. Okay. Could you give me the microphone, please? 
You didn't answer my question, sir. If all of your political opponents are dead, in prison, poison, doesn't that send a message that you do not want a fair political fight? As for who is killing whom or throwing whom in jail, people came to the U.S. Congress with political demands. 400 people. Over 400 people had criminal charges placed on them. They faced prison sentences of up to 20, maybe even 25 years. They're being called domestic terrorists. They're being accused of a number of other crimes. Uh, 70 of them were arrested right away after the events, and 30 of them are still under arrest. It's unclear on what grounds. And as for the, nobody from the official authorities has informed us about it. Some people, some people died, and uh, one of the people that died that was simply shot on the spot by the police, although they were not threatening the police with any weapons. In many countries, the same thing happens that happens in our country. I'd like to stress once more that we sympathize with what happened in the United States, but we have no desire to allow the same thing to happen in our country. Okay, so that's a very interesting thing because uh, the uh, reporter there, she wanted to, uh, to, to nail Putin on the uh, dissenter there who had challenged uh, Putin at one time uh, claiming that he's a dictator because he's got this guy in jail. And Biden comes right back with... Yeah, well, what about the 400, actually it's 450 people that got arrested from January 6th and are in jail now. And he mentioned Ashley Babbitt, not by name, but she was shot and killed by, uh, by the Capitol Police officer. And who is that, that police officer? Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get the name that's floating on on the internet, but maybe that's better for now because it hasn't been 100% proven. But you can see that the cop is standing there. He's like in a doorway, and you can see his arms stretched out. Looks like he's probably a, a black guy. And um, he pulls the trigger. You see the flash of the barrel, and then, you know, the camera switches over and you see Ashley Babbitt on the ground, bleeding out. Um, yeah, so this reporter can, can be saying that Putin has arrested his political dissidents and maybe challenging him, saying, how, how dare you, what, are you, do you not even want to have competition? Are you scared of, of competition, political competition? Well, the same question can be asked of President, the fake President Joe Biden and the Democrats because Ashley Babbitt got killed. 450 people are in prison, and from what I've heard, they're in solitary confinement in 10-foot by 7-foot jail cells, and they can't get to their lawyers. They're in those cells for 23 hours a day, one day, I mean, one hour out to exercise and call their families and their lawyers. Yeah, so who's the dictator? But uh, anyhow, do we have Joe Biden snapping? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's have Joe Biden. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident he'll change his behavior. What the hell, what do you do all the time? So when did I say I was confident? You I said, said in the next six months said, what I said was, let's get it straight. I said what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks, he downplayed human rights abuses, he even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. 
So how does that account to a constructive meeting as President Putin? You don't understand that you're in your own business. Well, there you go. How can Joe Biden trust uh, Vladimir Putin and that dictator? Could kind of be like what uh, Ronald Reagan used to say, trust but verify. But no, he's snapping and, you know, he's... He's just losing it. He's he's just like, you know, the the mean old uncle, yet you know, that no one can get along with anymore because he just doesn't quite have it all together. You ask him a question that he's not ready for, and he snaps at you. But um, that question uh, that uh, Putin threw out to the uh, to um, the the CNN no no she was from ABC. And it's funny because uh, the CNN dicta- dictator, the CNN reporter, was mentioning that she she called it uh, "what aboutism." Where's it line? What aboutism? You know, you hear that a lot. Um, Vladimir Putin in a suit, standing in front of a sign. Russian Vla- Vladimir Putin faces questions from reporters after his meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden in Geneva, Switzerland. Let's see, host TV Russian President Vladimir Putin faces questions. From the start of the Geneva Convention, Biden looked confident and relaxed. In contrast, Putin, who has made an art of appearing smug and almost bored, looked tense and on his guard. Then Biden took the initiative, extending his hand to Putin, who grasped walked over to grasp it. There was, there was one thing that I wanted to mention about being prepared for when you go to uh, these summits. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Putin got what he wanted. He got the Nordstrom, Nordstrom, Nordstar 2, I believe is the name of Nordstream. Uh, he got the pipeline that is called the Nord Stream 2 approved. Uh, what Donald Trump, that nasty, ugly, buffoonish fool did, was that he blocked this, uh, this pipe from being built. And what it does is it pumps gas from Russia in, into Germany and there throughout, you know, much of uh, Europe. And Germany wanted this because they wanted energy. And Russia wanted it because it'd be big bucks for them. You know, they, they want to open their economy up. And Trump had blocked it. And what does Joe Biden do? Well, here in the United States, he stopped the Keystone Pipeline, but he allowed for this pipeline in uh, Northern Europe to go ahead. He took the sanctions off. Well, when he did that, that was a huge win. That was just a great thing for Putin and for Russia. And I can't believe that Tucker Carlson missed this because the GOP put out a uh, an ad that kind of imitated a, a, um, a MAGA ad that Trump would have run, you know, showing how Joe Biden was good for Russia, you know, opened up the pipeline, and now there's going to be a ton of jobs in Russia, and the Russian people are going to eat good now, and it's going to help out Russia's uh, coffers. And for some reason, Tucker Carlson missed the tongue-in-cheek there. He thought it was an attack on on Putin, attack on Russia, and it was an attack on Joe Biden for having given this great, you know, gem of a trading deal to um, to Russia. But the point is that by the time that Vladimir Putin went to Geneva, he had what he wanted already. He had the Nordstrom. Uh, to pipeline that was the big feather in his cap so all he has to do is go there and uh, look good to the uh, you know, photographs and go around and shake hands or, or bump elbows it is now 
and um, he got what he wanted. The United States got nothing except the bill. So, but Putin brings up this fact that it's the United States that killed somebody during a protest at, at the Capitol. You know, say what you will, Vladimir Putin is a KGB uh, guy. He is not a Democrat. Yeah, he got elected democratically, if you want to call the, the Russian uh, you know, civilization over there a democracy. I really wouldn't. It's an oligarchy, and Putin's up at the top, and everybody knows that. You know, so um, does he uh, kill reporters or does he jail his dissidents? Yeah, he does. But <laughs> as one commentator uh, said recently, you know, uh, it, <laughs> it was from the Bible, Matthew 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. In other words, uh, hey Joe, if, if you're killing people that are demonstrating at uh, the Capitol, uh, don't uh, go complaining that, that Vladimir Putin's a killer. Remember, oh, I, I've got it on here, but I don't know if I'd be able to find it. And the part about when Joe Biden had said that Vladimir is a killer. Well, actually, Babbitt is dead because she was protesting at the uh, at the Capitol building. And there's a lot more to this story. 450 people are in jail. And in order, you know, in order to talk to their lawyers, I said they've got an hour per day uh, to contact their lawyers and or contact their families. Well, a couple of people are from Virginia, which, you know, isn't too far away. But uh, some of the people were arrested and brought in from all over the country, like Alaska. And, uh, you know, California and some other uh, places, you know, far away. And, and, of course, was it the insurrection? It was the worst thing that happened to the United States since... The worst thing to happen since the revolution of 1917. Oh, I'm sorry, that happened in Russia. That didn't happen in the United States. But that's what the Democrats in Congress are saying. The worst thing to happen since Pearl Harbor. The worst thing since the Civil War. Well, there was only one person killed, and no, it wasn't a cop. He died of a heart attack uh, later. Well after the thing happened. It was Ashley Babbitt, a Trump supporter, that got shot dead. And we don't know who shot her. Somebody knows. And the D.C. cops haven't, haven't been uh, questioned about it. I mean, there was, there was some kind of, of uh, whitewash. But who shot her? <clears throat> Why did he shoot her? Was he ordered to by somebody in the House of Representatives? Somebody in the Senate? I kind of doubt it was any of the Republicans that uh, would have done so. And then there's there's a comment here by the guy in charge of the investigation. And you'll have to bear with me because it's about 18 pages. Oh, there's a great article about this. Uh, unindicted co-conspirators in the January 6th case raises disturbing questions of federal foreknowledge. And this is in the Revolver. That's online, revolver.com. You can find this. I don't know if you have to subscribe to it. I did. It cost me 59 bucks. But um, it's 
a great article and it, it describes not only the January 6th uh, you know involvement the January 6th uh, I want to say investigation but it's being called the insurrection and it also has a thing about the the attempted kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer you know the governor there in in uh, Michigan water again excuse me And it shows how the FBI had infiltrated um, the groups of the people that that did the insurrection or that attempted the kidnapping. But they not only infiltrated, but they were uh, promoting it, pushing it, instigating it, running it. You know, that... uh, that makes that makes a complete difference if you have FBI uh, people, informants, um, you know, uh, counterintelligence uh, operatives who are getting into these groups and then basically entrapping them, you know, enticing them to, hey, wouldn't it be cool if if we could go to the Capitol and and kidnap Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer? Oh yeah, yeah, we could, yeah, we could go there. Oh, we'd be, we'd be famous. We could hide out and demand a huge ransom and, you know, change the, the country, change the world. If what I just said there was something that a, a FBI agent would be doing, well, then they are planning. They are. Formulating, they are leading the um, the resurrection, the insurrection, resurrection. Sorry about that. But uh, let's see, it's shock and awe is what I'm looking for, and I've got the second usage of it. But that's what the the DOJ wants is they want shock and awe, and these these people are being held. Basically, for trespassing, the you know somebody broke the window to to get in. You know, maybe they busted a door. There were some people that fought with cops, but most of the people that were involved, most of the people that are in jail, were just like tourists, just like hey Mabel, look at that. Is that that a statue of of, of President Jackson? Oh uh, no, honey, it looks more like. James Madison to me, not Andrew Jackson, but he's got a he's got a, a general's uniform on. Well, James Madison was in the army, you know, for a bit, little bit, you know, War eighteen twelve, all that stuff. But um, you know, they were most of the people, and you can see it on TV. And of course, if you're watching ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, CNN, or MSNBC, they may not show that most of the people that, that were in there were allowed in by cops, for one thing, after the break-in had happened, then the majority of the people that were in the rotunda there were um, were allowed in by cops, and they were just walking within the perimeter of of the, um, the, the felt, uh, what are those felt, not fences, the... The, the, you know the, those little walkways where you have the felt ropes, and you know they loop on on the the, the brass rail, and then you know shows you where to walk, and you don't get too close to the paintings or too close to the statues. Most of the people did that. And of course, it's QAnon. You know the QAnon shaman, uh, kind of a nut that uh, he's got some really weird beliefs. I've I've heard him on the radio and. He's just into new age electrolysis uh, connections and and uh, using crystals and electrolysis to change the world and all that sort of stuff. But most of those people there were not violent. Most of those people were... were basically tourists there just going golly gee whiz Mabel we're in the rotunda 
Um, and it was a lot of those people that have been put in jail for six months. And it's hard for the lawyers to contact them, especially if you're from, say, California. You have to come to D.C. You have to go through a two-week quarantine. Then you can go see the, the, um, uh, the defendants. You can go see your clients. How many lawyers are going to want to do that? Take two weeks out of their time. And that would probably mean they're going to charge their clients that. So the people that are in those D.C. jails are going to have to settle for... um, for a, a D.C. public defender. And D.C. is notoriously anti-Republican. You think they're going to get a good lawyer out of that that hole? But I don't have time to get into it. Uh, there was a whole lot more I wanted to read on this. And it's, it's good reading. You should go to it, revolver.com. And it shows how you've heard of the Proud Boys and uh, the Oath Keepers and what was that other militia group there that was that was in the insurrection? Well, they were infiltrated by the FBI. Most of their head honchos were informants or infiltrators from the FBI. They were leading these informants, these infiltrators, were leading the group. Now, granted, you know, I mean, they trespassed, they they broke some stuff. Uh, You know, they stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop. You know, it it wasn't a good look. It wasn't uh, smart. And you know what, what it... The eventuality of it is is that it ruined the opportunity to challenge the election, to do it legally. Instead of a legal challenge to the election results, which uh, Ted Cruz was going to lead, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, you had this insurrection and all the uh, representatives and the senators had to, had to run for their lives. It's got two questions about that. Why didn't Ted Cruz just say, I'm walking out here and talking to these people? And um, why didn't Donald Trump do that, you know? We heard from him later on in the day, just kind of wrapping things up and saying, hey, people, we've done the best we could. It's time to go home. Um, but... This this article in Revolver, and again, I'll give you the title, Unindicted Co-Conspirators in the January uh, 6th Case Raised Disturbing Questions of Federal Foreknowledge. The FBI knew about this attack, knew about the plans by these guys, because they were planning it! <laughs> There's so much more to get into, and uh, I wish I, I had more time to delve into it. But the FBI knew that this was coming, and if it was the worst insurrection since Pearl Harbor, why didn't they stop it? But, anyhow, let's uh, lighten things up here and uh, give a little nod to to the uh, people that graduated from high school again today. And this is my nod to Woonsocket High School.
Alice Cooper, the guy with the snakes. Yep. Well, I just thought I'd throw that out to you, all you kids there. It's uh, it's an oldie, but it's a goldie. School's out forever. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Frank Zappa loved him. <laughs> Zappa saw an, an early show that uh, Alice Cooper did. And he drove everyone out of out of the uh, the theater there, and uh, Zappa said, "This is the guy I want. I want that guy." You know, usually you think you want people that fill a theater, and Zappa li- just like Alice Cooper's persona, the way he presented stuff. I don't know what Zappa's just a nut, and he found another nut to. Uh, <laughs> To coincide with. Yeah. So anyhow, this has been Dunn's Deal. I hope you found it informative and interesting. I certainly have. And uh, maybe next week we can talk about more unindicted co-conspirators. Because it's not the first time that the FBI has infiltrated and entrapped people. So, so uh, yeah, there's... There's a lot more cases like it, and it, they've proliferated since twenty uh, since 2011. 2011, yep. And by the way, I've got some stuff about 9-11, 2001. What am I doing, 2011? 2001 was when the towers went down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got some info that I, I found out about the Red Pill Expo about... 9-11, and it's going to blow your mind, because it certainly blew my mind when I was hearing about it. But more of that on Dunn's Deal. We shall deal with that later, because this has been another fun hour here. Tune in for more Dunn's Deal. Same bat channel, same bat time. listening to Dunn's Deal with author James Dunn. Join James every Friday at 6.05 for a unique perspective on today's issues. But for now, this is a done deal. Only on your voice in the Blackstone Valley. WNRI, Woonsocket.